Today's reading is Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 21, and it's page 783. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favour has come. He rolled up the scroll handed it back to the attendant and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. One of the great joys of reading God's word is when you're studying a piece and you find it connects so well to something else you've read recently too. And that shouldn't be surprising for us, because we know that all scripture is God-breathed. Uh, it's, like, it's not just a collection of stories that men have put together, but it's actually ordained and inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so it's a, a delight when something strikes you, something significant, which you haven't picked up before. And so too, as we uh, continue through the um, Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, uh, we look to see what else we might be able to find through scripture. Uh, today, I've titled the, um, the message as a footnote to the Beatitudes. It seems appropriate that we just pause today uh, rather than just keep on going through. Next week, we'll continue with the Beatitudes. Uh, but today, I know our minds are with the McNaughtons. Uh, so this is a footnote. And it's an opportunity for us to stop and, and maybe gather some more information as we go through the Beatitudes so that we can be inspired to understand it a little bit more deeply. Uh, well, some of the things I might share, you might already know. And so in that case, it'll be like a salah. And the Psalms will get this little musical term, salah, which we presume means stop, pause, think about what has just been read or sung or heard. Uh, so whether um, you want to treat it as a footnote or a salah, here's an opportunity for us to um, consider God's word. And my prayer is that you might go away and, and read more of the Bible. And perhaps if you are thinking, what should I read next in the Bible? Read through the Gospel of Matthew as we're going through uh, it with the Sermon on the Mount. The um, Gospel of Matthew is uh, created around, structured around about five different discourses or, or sermons, groups of um, Jesus' sermons. And so the first one is the Sermon on the Mount. And it is intriguing to find that while Alistair has said about in the Beatitudes, everything's turned upside down. Okay, man's reasoning and understanding and logic is turned on its head um, as Jesus presents some new interesting things to tell people. Um, and that's not just in the Sermon on the Mount. We find it throughout the Scriptures. And in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, we certainly see it at different times. One good example would be in the parables of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, for his um, audience at the time, uh, the Jewish nation, uh, the words good and Samaritan never went together. Okay? They, they detested the Samaritans, and yet Jesus is turning their logic upside down and telling the parable about this good Samaritan. 
to give them a chance to think a little bit more deeply about who is their neighbor. Or other phrases that Jesus uses, such as, uh, the first will be last, and the last will be first. That turns our whole culture upside down, putting our needs and our wants later on. Or the third um, example I've given there from Matthew 16, verse 25, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And I really appreciate that verse because it isn't that Jesus is just saying these things to shock people. Yes, they will uh, find it uncomfortable. But in this verse, it reminds us about but whoever loses their life for me, for Jesus. So he is bringing them to see this idea that um, he is going to be the answer for them, a fulfillment. And so we look at the Beatitudes and we can find that same sort of upside down, turning it around the other way um, in some of the words which Jesus uses. And we've gone through the first three Beatitudes so far in um, the series. Uh, and so we hear God blesses, or I, sometimes the interpretation is happy. Happy are those who are poor. There's a contradiction. Uh, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Uh, happy are those who mourn. Another contradiction, it seems, another paradox. For they will be comforted. Happy are those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Those who are meek and uh, seem to be using humility are actually the ones who are going to be ruling the earth. And in the uh, reading we had today, Sandy shared with um, Jesus reading in the book of Isaiah, we see some of those same phrases coming through. That good news will come to the poor. That the captives will be released and the oppressed will be set free. And the first thing we think, I think when we read through this, and also um, the, the nation, the people who are listening to us, the Jewish people who are listening, they probably thought much of the physicality of that. Okay? And Alistair mentioned that too, about these here uh, seem very physical, but they're also to do with our spiritual lives. And so it's the poor in spirit who will receive the good news. And we recognize that, boy, we just don't make it right that we get the good news that Jesus has. Uh, that we are captives to sin at times, captives to brokenness, and yet we are released and we are set free. And so it speaks not just of the physical aspects of uh, this, but the, um, very much the spiritual elements. And as Jesus presents these uh, words, both in the Beatitudes, but also as he reads Isaiah 61, he's speaking of, Two elements which show fulfillment. One is repentance, repentance on our behalf. And the other is restoration, what he comes and does, restores us to God. And so let's have a little look at, for a start, the idea of repentance. Uh, may I give you the footnote there of Matthew 5.22, um, where Jesus says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have come to abolish them. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them, to complete them. And so we see this fulfillment uh, in the way, first of all, with our repentance, because Jesus makes uh, us consider the law more deeply. Uh, when we think about the Ten Commandments, and, and Alistair's mentioned about how the Ten Commandments were there, they were in the law, and when Jesus goes up on the mount and sits down and he teaches, there's this uh, similarity. He's showing that, hey, I'm going to show you the law, but in a new way, in a deeper way. 
And so he goes through and explains the law. And one of the uh, ones we will know well, I hope, is that thou shalt not murder. Okay? And so with the Ten Commandments, we usually tick box that. Oh, yeah, I haven't murdered anyone today. Or I haven't um, stolen anything. I'm looking good. But Jesus wants us to know that uh, at a deeper level. So he says when he teaches those laws, he says, um, you know, you've heard that you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I'm going to tell you it's deeper than this. And he says, but even if you're angry with your brother or sister, you're subject to judgment. And so Jesus fulfills the law in one way of making it more known to us. Not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of a law, what God meant for it to be. And so we consider what that really means, and there we are called to repent, to ask for forgiveness when we when to get it wrong, when our attitudes, when our stubbornness get in the way of what we should be doing for one another and for Jesus. We also see this fulfillment in the restoration that Jesus brings. And I want to just go back to uh, Isaiah um, 61. Uh, let me read out again. Sandy read out the portion where Jesus stands up in the synagogue. He um, opens up the scriptures and he reads part of Psalm 60, uh, Isaiah 61. So he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And then he stops. And he sits down and he declares the scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Now if you look at Isaiah 61, he stopped halfway through a sentence. And so he, in verse 2 of 61, uh, he's talked about, and the time of the Lord's favor has come, there's a comma, and the rest of the sentence goes, and with it, the day of God's anger against the enemy, and with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. And this is possibly the first time that the Jewish nation, these uh, listeners in the synagogue, have ever come across someone stopping at that comma rather than reading the whole thing. Remember, they're living in a culture where they're oppressed by the Romans. And so they're looking for God's vengeance upon their enemies. But Jesus shows something a little bit deeper. He suggests a comma that lasts for at least 2,000 years. He's bringing this fulfillment. He's saying to the, um, the Jews at this time that I am going to fulfill this favor to you. And in other words, he calls himself the year of Jubilee. And then we have this pause. And, and it is possible, some people believe that after that pause, Isaiah is probably talking about two different times. Okay? And so the, uh, the day of God's anger is yet to come. And we know it's waiting for 2,000 years. But going back to this idea of the year of Jubilee, uh, some of you will know about it from the scriptures, what God's instructed. I'm just learning about it because I've only just turned 50 yesterday. Um, and that's the 50 years. Uh, I'm, I sort of, as I was looking towards turning 50, I thought, I wonder what that's going to be like. Uh, I don't know anyone who's 50. Um, and, and so there was that trepidation. But then uh, earlier in the week, I sat down, I was uh, reading about the year of Jubilee, and I thought, boy, there's also a restoration, there's excitement there. And so the year of Jubilee was something that the Jewish people were looking forward to. God instructed them before they even entered the land of Canaan, um, 
to follow certain instructions. And he was giving out the land to them, and he had it in the tribes and the clans and the families. And it wasn't there just to use in a sow and swap around. The year of Jubilee came in the 50th year, and they had uh, six years, and then there was a Sabbath year, and they were supposed to give the land rest. And they were going to do that seven times, so seven Sabbaths, 49 years, and then the 50th year, it was a big rest. It was actually restoration. Everything was brought back to what it should be like. And so uh, if uh, the nation, uh, if a family decided to sell their land, they weren't really selling the land, they were selling the number of crops that would be on that land. Uh, so if you sold it, say, the second or third year after the Jubilee, the land would be more expensive because whoever bought it could have you know, 47 crops from it. Or if it was in the 48th year um, after the Jubilee, then it, the land would be cheaper sold because there was only going to be a couple of crops before the 50th land year where the land was returned to the family. And it was a time when family came back together. The land was there to rest and be restored to the owners. And slaves were returned, they were set free, and they could go back to family. It was reuniting one another together. So that was what the restoration was. And Jesus was declaring that he is the year of Jubilee, a time to restore um, people and the world back to God. I don't know if the Jewish nation ever did keep the year of Jubilee. It's not really recorded they did. We hope, we presume they might have, or at least some part of the nation may have. We know they didn't keep the Sabbaths for the year, for the land, because later on God says to them, for 490 years you haven't kept the Sabbath and given the land rest, therefore you're going into captivity for 70 years. And so all those 70 years of Sabbaths um, came all at once for Israel nation. So it's hard to tell whether they really considered the, the year of Jubilee at all. But while Jesus is essentially saying he is the year of Jubilee in person, he's also telling us another thing which is sort of turns upside down. It's hard for us to contradict in human terms. He's telling us the kingdom of God has come, and it has. When God sent his son Jesus to be fully human and fully God, and he grew, he lived, he died for our sins on the cross, and then conquered death by rising again, the kingdom is here. And yet we're also told that that kingdom is yet to come. And that's what seems so strange about um, understanding that. But if you think about the kingdom has come because God has sent Jesus, it is yet to come because when Jesus returns, he will remove all sin from creation. Then the challenge is this bit in the middle, that comma in Isaiah 61, which is 2,000 years long. And it's not simply a time, it's not just the in-between days, but it's also a place. It's what I call God's mission field. And we are called to be workers in that mission field. The fulfillment is part of our share. We can be part of sharing that good news to anybody and everybody. As we think about that mission field that God's called us to, it is challenging. Okay, there are going to be times, and even now as a church, we see challenging times, hardships for McNaughton family, for when we have grief and suffering and pain, 
and things just don't seem to go as we pray, as we wish they would. And I'm aware that it's not just the McNaughton family, but there are several in this church body who are struggling with illness or grief of some sort or all the craziness of this world which we still live in. And we're called to support one another. It's not a, a um, task we have to do alone. We're called to be the strength for others when they are weak, to actually bring joy when someone is grieving in some way, to inspire and to encourage people about the gift that God has given to us all and the ultimate time when we are called um, to that great victory in, in Jesus. In the first service, uh, someone who was visiting just shared couple of little images from the word um, to me after the service which was really encouraging and they reminded us that the disciples uh, when they were in the boat and it was raging the storm and it was a supernatural storm really they're about to go over the other side and Jesus was going to heal a demon possessed man and Jesus was in the boat then and he calmed the storm he was right there with them and another time they're in the boat Jesus has gone for a walk and he's going to catch up with them later on and the storm's there, and he's not there, but he's walking out to them on the water. And he calls them to him. Peter goes up on the water and follows, walks towards him. And there's times when, when uh, Peter asks Jesus lots of different things, and, and one time Jesus says to Peter, don't worry about John or this or that, but simply follow me. And we're told that to follow Jesus we are to, pick up our cross and follow him. That means that we all have challenges, but it also means that we're walking in the same direction together, and Jesus is always there through thick and thin. While we find it hard to comprehend this in-between days, we look forward to a time, and Jesus himself um, talks about it as a new order, the old order of things where sin has ruined this world and things get in the way, there's barriers and conflicts. We have this new order, which we hear about in Revelation 21, verses 3 to 4. Let me read it to you. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this life does bring challenges, and even at this time, we think of those who are unwell, who are struggling, and it may be ill health, it may be some other battle that they're really having to overcome. We cannot do it on our own. We ask for your spirit, for your hand to be on our lives. But we also recognize your call to us, not as individuals, but as a church. That when one of us is suffering, it, it means the whole of us are suffering. But it also means, Lord, that when someone is weak, someone else here can be strong. And we pray, Lord, that um, this day, in the coming months and years and time we have in this mission field that is 
your church, as your body of the body of Christ, that we would shine out your love to this world, to our neighbours, to the people in the street, to the lonely and the lost and the hurt, that they would hear the good news that Jesus has come to save and fulfil and bring victory over sin. In Jesus' name, amen.